This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. I'm Beth Pinsker, a financial planning columnist at MarketWatch, and I'm joined today by Beth V. Walker, author of Never Pay Retail for College. She's also the founder of the Center for College Solutions and a wealth advisor for Carson Wealth. We're here today to talk to you about the ways for families to afford college. Beth, thank you for being here today. Well, thank you for having me. It's one of my favorite topics. (laughs) Um, Well, for me, too, because I'm the parent of a high school junior and a high school freshman. And this is literally all I think about. (laughs) Um, And I think there are a lot of people out there who are in the same position because we're all worried about the price of college and how we're going to afford it. And whether we're paying for it now or about to pay for it or paying for it sometime in the future, it's a it's a really big concern for for families. You've done a lot of research about how families can make a plan that works. And I want to dig into that today. Um, I wanted to start with your magic formula. Now, magic is uh, an acronym from your upcoming book. So can you go through what that what that talks about? Because I think that sets the stage for how to have this discussion, whether it's and not just make it about numbers. I'd love to. And, and magic is an acronym and it it it's the culmination of working with families for over 20 years in the college space because it's so confusing, complicated, and costly that I was really struggling with how do we organize this information in a way that makes it easier for families to digest, understand, and act upon. So magic, M is for money. (laughs) Um, As a financial fiduciary, um, that's near and dear to my heart. And I do think parents are really stymied by this. Um, I'll come back to the money piece in a minute. The second letter, A, is for academics. And that's all about the student's profile. One of the aha moments that I had when I started working with independent education consultants and all the people that help the students put together, I call it their marketing package, their admissions application, their letters of recommendation, their essays, Um, the academics play a huge role in the student's college FICO score, which is a concept that's foreign. But, you know, when you think about a FICO score, we all kind of know it. And we know that if I do a good job managing my credit, I get better rates on loans. I get discounts. And ironically, the academics, the unweighted GPA in the core subject matters, the test scores, even in a test optional world, the strength of the high school curriculum, the essays, all of those total and create a profile that the schools look at. And based on that, they may discount costs. They may offer more merit-based scholarships. So academics are a big deal. The G in the magic formula, if you will, is stands for guidance. And I mean guidance in a way that's much deeper than we're able to achieve in a high school setting. Um, It's answering the why the student is going to school. We have science and the ability to understand how kids are hardwired, um, what their aptitudes and interests are, how to identify career paths that are gonna play to their strengths. 
And then from identifying that back into what majors will serve them best. And then to further back up from that and reverse engineer which schools do a particularly good job in that major. So it's a level of guidance that I find um, we often as parents have to kind of go beyond what's available in the high school curriculum. The I is integration. I mean, there are so many stakeholders in this. We've got the student, we've got the parents, we've got the school counselor. Oftentimes there's an independent education consultant. There might be test prep. Uh, there might be a financial component. All of those people, all of those stakeholders have to integrate their efforts in a coordinated project plan to create the best outcome. It's almost like, and I wrote about this in Never Pay Retail for College, it's like the kitchen remodel. <laughs> Somebody takes on the role of the general contractor, but they can't do the job on their own. This right. is a team sport. And so understanding who needs to be on the team, when they need to do what they do, what they need to do is important. So that integration component is really valuable. All of those things should lead to confidence so that when the student is curating that list of eight to 10, 12 max, even though I know a lot of people go crazy and apply to more schools than that, they should have confidence that when they hit submit, if they're accepted at any of the schools on their list, it'll be a great fit academically, it'll be a great fit socially and emotionally, and it'll be a great fit financially. So that's the magic method. My kid's school is now saying 14, 14 schools. <laughs> but I at like $75 an application fee, come on. Um, I like your formula because it places a lot of emphasis on the kid themselves. Yes. And they don't get lost in this process of the parents thinking one thing and the kid thinking another thing. And those two things, those two priorities are at loggerheads when it comes time to make a decision. Um, so that's what I like about this formula. But let's talk about nobody really understands where they fall on the spectrum of, of college planning uh, when so they're true. starting. It's like there are people who can pay out of pocket and that $80,000, you know, cost is not a big deal. And there are people on the other end of the spectrum who can't pay any of it and they're going to get a full ride. Yeah. The people who really need to pay attention are somewhere in the middle, right? Absolutely. In fact, it's most of the kids that go to college. <laughs> I, I like to think of America as, you know, the bell curve, the double stuff in the Oreo cookie and no question the magic formula really pertains to all of us in the middle. Um, and that's where the pain is because there's a lot of people that drive nice cars and live in great houses, but they're not gonna qualify for an extraordinary amount of need-based financial aid. And they also don't have all this extra cash flow that they can just throw at the problem. And if they have more than one college like you have in your own household, it's really important that they're looking at this through the lens of all kids all years, because really college is the ultimate cash flow challenge. Yes. And so figuring out, you know, what do most parents want? I'm going to guess this is what you'd want. I want to maintain my current lifestyle. I like where I live. I like the car that I drive. I like the vacations we take and the memories that we make. I want to keep doing that. Yeah. I also want to either get on track for retirement or stay on track for retirement because time is my ally. And so I need to be doing that. 
And then along comes college and I've got to fit in this 40,000, 80,000, whatever it is every year for the next four years and maybe do that two or three times. Yeah. And so I had a colleague who had three children who were each four years apart and he was going to be paying college tuition in his peak earning years for 12 straight years. Yeah. And so that's very real. That's where the pressure is felt. And that's why it's not for the faint of heart. And it's just not, it's not something that a parent should wing. You know, this is not something where we're going to say, Hey, I'm just going to wing it. I'll deal with it when I get there. That's an expensive way to approach it. Um, so for those trying to figure out, and I use 80,000 as a big round number, and it sounds really big and scary, but it's probably actually low. Um, it's probably 87 or something like that. But yeah. this is like 80,000 as a round number. Um, you have a kind of mathematical formula to break that down. So it's it's a little less scary. And that yeah. formula is um, 20, 25, 25, and 50. But, so let's start with the 20, because that's the 20 is the down payment, right? Yeah, I like to say that I wish that in America we we went about buying college the way we go about buying a house. Because if I Google, hey, uh, how do I buy a house? It's all financial up front. Well, how much can you afford? That's interesting because we never ask that question when it comes to college. Most of the parents that I work with come to me and say, here's the college they're going to. How do I pay for it? And we need to say, wait a minute, let's figure out how much we can afford. Because once we understand how much we can afford, now we can reverse engineer, just like a house. Okay, I went and I worked with a mortgage lender who took me through the voluntary root canal of pre-qualifying me and telling me based on my debt to income ratio, this is what we would feel confident that you could afford. And they do that every single day. They're like a gatekeeper. They put in guardrails. We don't have that in college. But if we did and we said, okay, here's how much you could afford. Now let's figure out what 20% of that would be. So I created a super simple table for a lot of families saying, okay, well, if you're going to go to an in-state school and that costs you $30,000 a year times four, Okay, got it. You know, without an inflation adjusted number, it's $120,000. What would 20% of that be? Oh, I need to have $24,000 set aside as my down payment on college. Now, if I go to an out-of-state school, if I go to a private university, if I go to an elite private university, those numbers just get bigger. But that's the down payment piece. The 5% that you alluded to is a really interesting number. And I've struggled with this for a long time because there's a real cost to having teenagers live in your house. I call it the teenager tax. I pay that. Right. I pay my teenager tax in, or, in organic milk. <laughs> I mean, think of all the things. Oh, I have to sign them up for driver's ed. I have to pay for AP enrollment and, cl- and tests. I have to take them to the orthodontist. They want to be in club sports or they play in an orchestra. I mean, it's all of that. And as parents, we don't really want to look at the detail of what it costs to have our kids under our roof. And I've tried and tried and tried for years. So I finally conceded defeat and said, wait a minute, let's do this the smart way. Let's just look at what the payroll deposit net 
in your bank account was last month. If it's a two-wage earning household, what's that number? What's 5% of that? At a minimum, that is baked into your existing lifestyle. And it doesn't end when the kiddo goes to school. We just redirect it. I call it offshoring. I'm offshoring that cash flow. Now, the good news is it doesn't mean we have to change our habits because it's already baked into our day-to-day lifestyle. It just means that money isn't going to be spent on organic milk at the grocery store when you go. You're going to take that portion of it and send it to the school. It'll be part of room and board. So if you think about it, between the down payment and the 5% of lifestyle cash flow, that's 25%. That's a year of college that you know, we're pretty much tackling. I just want to mention at this point that we are going to take questions very soon. And if you have any questions, put them in the chat and we are going to start answering them. Um, like I'm going to answer one that, that came from registration right now, um, or I'm going to ask it for Paul. Um, what about the people who haven't saved that 20% and, and their kids are already in high school and they feel like it's too late? Thank you, Paul. That's a great question because it happens all the time. So remember that this formula is aspirational. It's uh, designed to give people some kind of structure to work with, but having not saved 20% happens all the time. So now we look at that, we go, okay, if, if I had a down payment and I have offshoring and I was going to do financing, and there's also another component that I'm gonna talk about, which is the student. Like any algebraic equation, if I have a shortfall in one area, I've gotta make it up somewhere else. And, or I might be choosing a different school to attend because I'm going to be 20% short on that ideal number. Right. So let's talk about that, that, um, the, the, the 20% that comes from the student, the, the, that student FICO score, that finding that college that's going to give you a discount or a coupon or whatever, whatever you want to call it, merit, um, that's going to get your it's going to get that $80,000 to be lower. The 25% that is learned but not earned or that's how I kind of like to talk about it. It is the opportunity for the student to have skin in the game by doing high school well. I think that too often as parents because we're trying to protect kids from the reality, or we haven't had financial conversations, they don't actually understand the role that they can play in their own college education. But the fact of the matter is their unweighted GPA and core subjects, the strength of their high school curriculum, did they take honors classes? Did they take AP? Did they challenge themselves? Did they demonstrate they were willing to do the work? if they're taking SAT, ACT, or AP courses, are they testing in a way that demonstrates, wow, I've got you know a rock star here, or I've got an above average student here? Did they take the time when they crafted their essay? Okay, those are the components that go into the academic FICO score. And what's interesting to me, what I never knew from a financial perspective until I went deep into the weeds here is the schools really pay attention to that and they decide who's gonna get that presidential scholarship, who's gonna get the trustee grant, who's gonna get an unsubsidized loan when they really might not get 
enough subsidized load because that's at the discretion of the school. Um, there are ways if we understand that academic FICO score to identify schools where our student is going to show up in the top quartile, meaning the top 25% of kids typically admitted to that school in their freshman class. So think of it as the ultimate theory of relativity. How does my student stack up relative to the other kids that apply to this school? If they're in the top 25%, they're likely to earn discounts or merit-based aid, which will reduce your cost. And I believe that can equate to 25%. Right. Here's another thing. There's freshman year for free. Google freshman year for free. There's an organization, it's a nonprofit, that will literally allow your student to do online courses and take CLEP exams, college level entrance placement. They could literally test out of most of their electives before they step foot on campus. So imagine that they're deep into their junior year, they're up to their eyeballs and AP this or honors that, they're already in the zone. Why wouldn't we have them take the CLEP exams, which are multiple choice, sponsored by the college board, free of charge through this program, right? and show up and only have three years of school to finish for a four-year bachelor's yeah. degree? There's also a lot of dual enrollment and- Exactly. Um, those kind of things going on I, all over New York. There, there are those kind of programs. And, and that's that's where I think, again, sometimes people think I'm saying it's the responsibility of the student. I look at it more as the opportunity for them to own their future and contribute and have skin in the game. Yeah, so I look at it when, when you were talking to me about that. I, I, I went and thought about my kids and, you know, I have one science kid and one humanities kid and the humanities kid is not going to apply to, to, to any school with tech in the, in the title. Right. right? And th they don't want my kid and my yeah. kid doesn't want to go there. Um, you're you're kid, looking for the right fit. Yeah. So my, but my kid who is uh, more science oriented is looking for a school that maybe doesn't have that freshman writing requirement, you know, and, and is not, you know, requiring an arts course or, or that sort of thing. And, you, you want the right fit for the right kid, really. You're and getting on guidance and integration coming together in a way that says, okay, yeah, this is tailored to the strengths of the student. Right. And their probable path. Now, the other 50%, and this is sometimes controversial in my formula, is financing. Yeah. So let me just stop here because Francisco had asked about the formula because he, he, he missed the, the moment where we were talking about that this is a formula that comes from uh, Beth Walker's upcoming book, which will be out soon. Um, and it breaks down the total cost of college into sort of uh, chunks that you can comprehend. So 20% is a down payment, 5% comes from current cash flow, 25% comes from, you know, whatever discount your student is going to earn. And this final 50% that we're talking about is the financing. This is what you might have to borrow based on, but the number might not be 80% at that point. That's right. It, Scary. It, like, okay, you're telling me everybody has to borrow $40,000? $40, no, like the, the, the net price that you're going to have to pay is probably going to be much lower than that. It is. And, and if in my perfect world, if we could start at a point that says, this is the college, um, this is the zip code you should be shopping in for college, this price range. 
Okay. Yeah. And because we looked at your debt to income ratio, we know how much extra cash flow you could service any kind of financing. And so when it comes to financing, I'm very specific about the kind of financing I look for. Number one, government loans. The very best financing tool offered by the Department of Education is the direct student loan for undergraduate students. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care if you're a multimillionaire or you don't have two nickels to rub together. In today's environment, everybody should take the direct student loan. And I meet with a lot of parents that start their conversation with, I'm not gonna have my kid dig themselves out of debt. I say, fine, it's a family financing tool. You can pay, you can make the payments, but you tell me where you're gonna get a loan that's below the current interest rates with a low origination fee that you don't have to even begin paying back until they're six months after separation from the institution. So deferred. And then at that point in time, you can pick the payment plan you want. It could be income driven, which with the new rules would be very manageable. You can decide, hey, I'm done with my offshoring because my kiddo graduated and now they're paying their own rent. I can take the money that was already in my cash flow and apply that to these loans. I could deposit the money the first day of the month, tell the loan servicing company to take it on the 15th, and we build their credit right out of college. So if we have a paradigm shift and say, wow, that's a good tool. The problem is it's limited. You know, It's only 5,500 the freshman year, 6,500 the sophomore year, 7,500 the junior year, and 7,500 the senior year. So really, they can borrow $27,000. But what a great financing tool. Then I look at interest only loans. And this is really important because college is a cash flow challenge. We're really trying to maintain current lifestyle and stay on track for retirement while paying for school. So we need things that are cash flow friendly. An interest only loan might be a home equity line of credit. People say, Beth, you know, that could be 7%. Okay. I borrowed $30,000 to make a payment, 7% interest only, it's less than $200 a month, okay? And I know I'm not paying down principal, but you're probably still paying down on your first mortgage. And when all kids are through school, then we can decide what we're gonna do. Am I gonna repay that loan? Am I gonna refinance? Are we moving? But I was able to maintain everything while the kids were in school on a cash flow basis and get the time I needed to figure out the exit strategy. So those, you know, the, the direct student loan, interest-only loans, which you can also get on a very favorable basis from cash value life insurance contracts, those are really savvy ways to go about financing. Well, that's all great because that actually just answered. Tim had just, right before you started talking about that, Tim had just started asking about um, personal versus federal loans. And I think that answers the question um, completely. Um, but let's delve into, because this is something I'm facing now after having gone on a bunch of um, campus tours, is the emotion of it. This is the hard, cold math truth that we've just been talking about. Yeah. But then there's the movie picture campus I have in my head. And we went on these tours and everything was so perfect. And I imagine my kid under a tree reading a book and going to the cafeteria for lunch with all their friends. And, and you know, I fell in love with every single place we visited. 
Yeah. Um, and it's hard because the kids fall in love with with places. The parents fall in love with places. You want things for your kids. And Cameron, uh, one of our listeners, also asked that question. Um, and he was curious about your approach to helping families navigate that, especially if you have anything in terms of status seeking, you want the best most prestigious college or your, you know, your kid is after, you know, the best sports teams or the best facilities or whatever it is, you know, the swimming pools on the roof or, you know, the academics in the classroom, whatever it is, the, the letter on the sweatshirt. Um, how do you, how do we navigate all of that as parents? Beth, this is the, this is the crux of the whole, the whole matter. It's the most emotional buying decision any parent will ever make. I mean, you know, they the car salesman says, if I can get you into the car and you're driving it and you feel the leather seats and the sunroof above your head, I have a higher probability of you buying, right? Well, that pales in comparison to the emotional component of the college purchase. I mean, it's just, and we've got two stakeholders that are emotionally involved. We've got a student who, doesn't have a lot of experience making big purchases. And we've got parents who will do anything. I can't tell you how often I hear, if they get in, we'll do whatever it takes. But I believe that where we are in the world thinking, and let's face it, it's in the parent's handbook. It's like, well, if it's more expensive, it must be better. Mm-hmm. I wanna do really well by my kid. Some of this is not even conscious. It's so viscerally tied to our parent heart at the expense of our consumer mind, okay? Which is why, again, in my perfect world, we'd start with what you can afford. We would begin by limiting the universe of choice to those that are realistically a great fit for the student, but also a great fit for the parents. And then visit schools that could potentially fit that mold. But when we, you know, and I get it because I'm also saying, hey, they need to be able to visualize themselves on campus. So if you're vacationing somewhere and there's three schools within the, you know, a 20 mile radius, go for the tours, get a sense for big versus small, urban versus, you know, college town, um, big sports, no sports. That's important. But I think that you know, I'd be curious, and I'll ask you this. Does your son drive? Not yet. We live in New okay. York. So. Yeah, I figured that. So for a lot of people who don't live in the big cities, we're driving. And I know kids are starting later and later and later. But it's not like when they turn 16, we drop them off at the car lot and we tell the guy, hey, let them buy whatever they want. Right. But we're doing that with college. So I really think it's about creating guardrails and realistic expectations. And then I'll tell you the reality. If a student falls in love with a school and the parents are determined to do whatever it takes, then I think it's a whole different discussion about how do we reorient your current financial circumstances, demonstrate to you what the consequence of today's decision will be for you in 25 years, and at least let you make an informed decision. My greatest frustration as somebody who does this on a daily basis is 
most parents are not making an informed decision. They have no idea what the decision today about where their kid's going to go to school is going to have on them in 20 years. And we can almost always take a foregone conclusion. All right, my oldest picked an expensive school. I've got two more to do. I don't think I can repeat that, but what do I do from here? Right. Well, okay, we'll meet you where you are. Let's make lemonade out of the lemons. Let's not double down and take a bad situation and make it worse. I mean, when you realize that the highest percentage of default in student loans is in 65 and older because of parent plus loans that should have never been taken. That's when it breaks my heart because that's avoidable. Well, this is a good place to take some of the practical questions that we've gotten from readers. Um, Amira wants to know, um, she has a grandson going uh, off to college soon um, and she wants to assign some stock to him uh, into an UTMA, which is a, um, an, a bank account for minors that's got a custodian. Um, and she wants to know what the tax consequences might be and, and can it be done? And what do you think of, of that as a vehicle for college? So I'm, I'm hearing that we want to use stock probably with low cost basis, right? Um, to help fund college for the grandson. Don't love UTMA because you give up control, they could change their mind. And there's a lot of reasons and age could play a role. If they're already in college, you might not even be able to do that. Okay. You could gift directly to the school. Okay. Oh, and way. Okay. So now you don't pay the tax. We get full value and it can be earmarked for the student's costs. It'd be fantastic. That's excellent. Um, another uh, listener, Kieran, asks about using uh, T-bills, treasury bills, uh, to pay for college expenses. This is probably, um, wants to know the tax, if there's a tax benefit, uh, like there is for 529 college savings. Um, and I think I-bonds have a college, um, have an exception to, for the tax if they're used for college purposes or rolled into a 529. So if you're looking for an alternative to a 529 and want to use T-bills, um, you might want to do that because of the safe um, money aspect of the T-bill and the current interest rates. Yeah, T-bills are right now. We're writing all about it. Yeah, but that would be taxable. So to Beth's point, you could use I-bonds in lieu of T-bonds or T-bills, okay, but there's some different rules in terms of how long you have to hold it and how your you know, interest changes every six months, et cetera. So it's not for the faint of heart. If, if Now here's another thing. You could, depending on where you live, um, if you want to invest in the T-bills, okay, pay the taxes, and you live in a state that gives you a state income tax deduction for a 529 contribution, like it does in Colorado, then you could cash it out deposit it into the 529, okay, get the state income tax benefit. You will have foregone the tax deferral, but you'd get a little bit because you chose that. The other option is look into the 529 plan in your state and find out if they have a T-bill choice. That's a good option. Um, those are all great options. Um, let's do one more from Tim, um, who wants to know... Um, 
whether if you're not pulling from a 529, but your choices are a Roth um, or a traditional IRA, um, whether which one of those would you pull first from for college? Well, <laughs> I know your, your answer is going to be, I know it's going to be retirement comes first and you shouldn't pull from your retirement to pay for college because you can borrow for college, but you can't borrow from retirement. Am I, am I right? You are right. <laughs> and, and yet we may have those parents that are like, nope, that's not how I'm going to do it. Yeah. You know? And so what am I going to, well, look, as long as the government says, Hey, this is one of the reasons you can withdraw and you're not going to have to pay taxes. Okay. But I got to tell you, on the list of places I would go to find money for college, it would be at the end. Absolutely. I'm, I'm totally in the boat with you on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, Tim. I think maybe go back to what you said earlier about the, the home equity lines. Yeah. And um, other sources. Um, the one thing we didn't get to, uh, which I wanted to touch on before we close, is places people can go for help. Uh, yes places to figure out where to make that college list, places to figure out how much you can afford. What are some resources for, for, for people who are listening? Um, number one, curating the college list, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's such an important exercise. And there's a great free resource called tuitionfit.org. Tuitionfit.org, great. Yeah. Mark Salisbury comes out of higher education and is on a mission to collect information and educate parents so that they have a reasonable understanding of what the actual out-of-pocket cost at different schools might be. I think that's a great resource. He also links to several resources on his website that are all things college. So I think that would be a good place. Interesting question about affordability, sort of that, what can we afford? Um, Strategies for College, which is a group that I'm affiliated with, um, at my request, created such a calculator, but we don't have it on the website yet. Because what I said was, hey, when I go to Rocket Mortgage, I can type in a bunch of information and it'll do the calculation for me and say, this is about how much you can afford. That's a great starting place. And so we should have that, I would say, within the next 30 to 60 days. I prefer that to the net price calculators at the schools because, you know, everything that is tied to the FAFSA formula, which will change in December, um, it doesn't even look at any liabilities that you have. It doesn't look at whether you have a car payment, whether you have a credit card payment. So I don't, I think it sets us up for an unrealistic expectation and it doesn't really help you as a consumer identify how much you can really afford. That's true. And Tampa has a forecaster also um, on the on the the federal financial aid form, which is referred to as FAFSA. Yeah. Um, you they have a tool called the forecaster or fat. There's some FAFSA forecaster. You're right. Some combination of letters there that that sounds like a big amount of Fs. Um, <laughs> And you can put your numbers in there and they'll tell you what that federal calculation is. But for a lot of private schools, um, that calculation will be private to the school. And it's supposed to be captured by the net price calculator, but they can be a little wonky, right? I've tried to run my own numbers in there. And well, and, and here's what I'm going to say, because I do this a lot. And, and I do EFC calculations for clients and it might say, OK, here's your number for the government formula. 
But when I really look at their balance sheet and their cash flow, that number's higher than it should. They can't really afford that number. Right. And so I, I just, I think that so often we, I really wish we would start with, here's the type of school you can afford. Now let's go find the right ones. What are you getting if you pay for that college counselor? What tools are they using that you don't have access to in the same way that a financial mm -hmm. advisor has professional tools or a tax accountant has, you know, something that's better than the free stuff that you use? So there's really, in my estimation, three distinct camps of expertise in the college project plan. Obviously, the financial piece, which would be all the things related to your personal balance sheet, as well as filing the financial aid forms. Okay. Set that aside. When you talk about <clears throat> the academic FICO score, you're talking about an independent education consultant who supplements all the work that the school counselor is doing, that the school counselor doesn't have time to give the individualized attention to the student. And we're talking about they could spend 18 months with a student developing a list of schools, identifying, um, you know, uh, the essay themes, really working on the things that need to be included in those applications. And then the third element I think is the guidance. And this is really where we get into careers and majors consulting. You know, there are tools that a lot of the high schools give kids access to, and they might be, you know, assessments like Strength Finders or Myers-Briggs, or um, I really like the Berkman which um, is used by a lot of Fortune 500 companies to identify how do we leverage our human capital. And so there are a number of different tools out there that help the student identify and become self-aware, understand what their strengths are, where they're likely to thrive. More than anything else, what I love about that part of the process is it gives teenagers language with which to advocate for themselves so they can take ownership of their path. And that's just not something that's done in our high school curriculums. That is true. That is, I'm finding that out every day. Um, okay. I'm just going to close on the fact that that FAFSA we were just talking about, Scott just asked about it, about completing it. And regardless of your level of wealth, whether you're zero or millions and millions of dollars, you should still be completing that FAFSA because it's what kicks off any amount of merit or whatever. Like, do you encourage people to fill out that FAFSA no matter what? I do for two reasons. Number one, it's the way to access low cost capital through the direct student loan. I mean, you do not have to be a need based candidate. That is your application for that loan. And number two, to your point, it's when you share your financial data and the schools have visibility that they might say, oh, this is our type of student. They don't need a lot of need based aid. They've got good grades. And it's so counterintuitive. I, I never understood this early on, but I do now because they're running a business. They're saying, wow, we like this student. We want to provide them with an incentive to attend our institution. Because what we know is if we can bring smart kids from households that don't need a lot of need-based aid, 20 years from now, they'll be productive members of society. And when we call them on our fundraising campaign, they will write a check. So they're willing to make a present day investment in a future endowment stream. They're very good at it. Well, and that's, that's the magic I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you.
Um, well, that's all the time we have uh, today. Uh, thanks for being here, Beth. And please join us again tomorrow. Uh, Barron Senior Managing Editor Lauren Rublin and healthcare industry reporter Josh Nathan Katzis discuss the outlook for healthcare stocks and the latest news on COVID-19 treatments and vaccines. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and have a good day.